I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. I run hip hop and the numbers on Twitter. I use hip hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. And I'm Joe to the fifth element. I highlight the fifth element hip hop, which is knowledge. And I got Ben to listen to jazz. Ben is anti-jazz. No, he is first. I like jazz. <laughs> I was listening to jazz before you were born, potentially. You've got to relax. I'm old now. <laughs> People were rinsing me online the other day for being 35. They're like, did you know the dinosaurs? <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> oh, that's outstanding. Hi, Ben. How's your week been? Listen this week. Yeah, it's been, uh, it was a very up and down week, but I had a, a decent weekend, which is um, which is good. I'm just going to go into my little graphic to see what I listened to, to see if I actually listened to anything this week. I did listen to Aesop Rock. Um, that was incredible. I enjoyed that. Uh, Barry, like, I never really know what to expect from Aesop Rock. I, I mean, I do know what to expect, but I always... I always think it's going to be too dense and I'm not going to enjoy it or it's just going to be too lyrical or I'm not going to be banging my head to it. So I'm always, I don't know, I'm just like, should I listen to it? i got to be in the right headspace. And then I was looking for songs for a playlist and I was like, hang on a sec, this entire thing slaps. Just the way that he, I mean, lyrically, we know, incredible. Uh, storytelling, intricate wordplay, great. But the way that he uses his voice on the beat, just like slapping you in the face with it, it is it's immense. His flow is always incredible. The production, I think he's producing a lot of his own stuff at the moment. Incredible as well. So yeah, man, look, uh, I think he's a bit underrated, Aesop Rock. I know people talk about him and, and say that he's, you know, a lyrical, spiritual, miracle individual, <laughs> but like he's, he's good, man. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed that project a lot. So check it out. Don't be scared. Don't be put off a little bit by the fact that he can be a bit lyrically dense. Uh, even if you don't want to listen to lyrics, which I don't all the time, sometimes I just like to have some stuff that slaps. Uh, it slaps. It's more of his production choice that throw me off personally. Well, this that sometimes I get that too. Uh, there was an album, yeah. oh, I can't remember. I remember listening to Malibu Ken, I was just not into it. Malibu Ken's different. Yeah, that's a different situation. Like, But there was one like 10 years ago as well that I listened to, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't like this, and I kind of went off. But since then, I don't know, man, I've, I've come back on and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, what else did we get into? We got into Larry June and Cardo last night. I Oh, NyQuil. Woo! I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for that exact reason. Charlie said it, NyQuil. <laughs> I had a pretty intense week and I was very anxious. And I said, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to get so annoyed at his terrible lyricism. He doesn't have lyricism. That's a silly thing to say. Just him. You know what I had a thought last night? I was like, what did Larry June rap about before he was rich? Like, that's all he raps about is just money. But he has a sleepy voice. The production was pretty chill. And it calmed me way down. And I was just like, I really wish Currency was on top of these beats. But Larry June on them isn't that bad. But then I thought to myself, but Currency drops like 12 projects a year. So why don't I just go and listen to a Currency project? So yeah, that's where I ended up with Larry June. But it's better. It's an improvement on where I was with his last project, which I was just like, no, did not enjoy at all. Um, 
I think that was about it this week. It's not not been a great week. Uh, Wiki and Tony Seltzer dropped. I enjoyed that. There was definitely some um, some interesting instrumentals in a good way, in a very good way. Lord Apex dropped. Now that was that was great. Fully recommend listening to that. Okay. That Lord Apex. That's gonna be yeah. It's it's eclectic. It goes in a lot of different directions. Um, T Grizzly mm. dropped the deluxe, and you know what? I re-listened to it. And I thought back to what I was talking about last week and just being a bit of a T Grizzly stan. T Grizzly to me, and I didn't listen to the Meek Mill and Rick Ross project because I'm not going to subject what? Myself, I'm not going to subject myself to that. Okay, no one <laughs> should have to subject themselves to an entire project of Rick Ross on every song. Like we, ugh, the world is fucked up enough, bro. Don't punish yourself me, that me, way me, me. just to get Meek Mill. Okay, I love Meek Mill, but I don't. And you know what? Me, when I was listening to T Grizzly, don't do. It. You know how terrifying that is when you listen to a song and then you hear the. And you're like, oh no, 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 no! It's like it's like a sta- it's like it's like that bit in Jumanji where you like Robin Williams hears the stampede coming yeah. and just like <laughs> you're like, oh, it's a shit's about to get dark. But yeah, oh, I'm not a Rick Ross fan. But while I was listening to T Grizzly again, I I think he suffers from the Meek Mill problem. Meek Mill has a classic album in him. But he just puts a club track or a pop track or a track this oh, is on the chart no, 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 on no. every freaking... It's been 10 years. Let it go. But it's just so... F- he can. He could do it. Like, he could do the it. The mixtapes were it, bro. The mixtapes were it. Like The Dream Chaser series, that was it. That was the height. That was the peak of Meek Mill in my mind. Like, everything can't... else... It's, he's, he's off the peak I'm it's sorry it's law he's, of he's diminishing like, returns with Meek Mill like he just and that's there's no classics in, that, in him no more but no, that's that's like the that. thing with with, uh, with T Grizzly like he I love T Grizzly and I listen to his albums but I do yeah, not but the difference is how long's T Grizzly been about mm, not as long but like not as long seven, right there seven you go. or eight years <laughs> like it's been seven or eight years right okay, exactly. I mean Meek's what was Meek's debut was it 2012 2010 it wasn't pre-2010. Album-wise, well, studio album was like the Dreams Don't Come For Free, right? That was like uh, 2014 Maybe Dreams are worth more than But nine, obviously right? he had like tons of mixtapes before then. So that's what, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, the mixtapes like, were, were fire. But as soon as he yeah. gets into album mode, he just... And that's what T Grizzly does. Right, when well, I was re-listening to it last night or yesterday when I was working out, I just have to had to keep skipping songs because he's just like, oh, let's dip into the R&B bag here. And I'm like, no, no, don't dip into that bag. You're not good at that bag. Stay out of that bag. That's not the bag for you. And he does it and I respect it and he can do whatever he wants. I'm not telling him what to do with his art, but I do think if he just did 12 tracks of just like eviscerating everyone, then I think he'd have a classic. So yeah, I revisited the T Grizzly album when the Deluxe came out. And bro, I tell you what, if I ever have to hear Chris Brown ever again, I'm going to chop my own ears <laughs> off. I cannot stand that motherfucker. Like, do not bring him anywhere near me ever again. I do not want to hear Chris Brown. Don't put him on your albums. It is a skip. It is an immediate skip. Anyway, that was me this week. What about yourself, Charlie? Yeah, got plenty of projects. I actually have a backlog once again. Um, so there's a few projects that um, did drop this week, and I just didn't get to. Um, but yeah, so it's, uh, it's we'll get we'll get to those when we get to those. We have the time, ladies and gentlemen, as always. Right, but we began with Coops, uh, with Homegrown, the EP, little four pack, pretty solid. Not much to write home about. Pretty solid little piece of music right there. Uh, Joel Culpepper, friend of 5e, Joel Culpepper coming back after a little hiatus after his um, amazing debut studio album. 
uh, Sergeant Culpepper, um, one of my albums of last year, give that a spin. Um, but yeah, he's back with Happiness is Only a Few Miles Away. Um, entirely, well, mainly produced by um, Tom Mish um, and uh, co-produced by others as well within that. But Tom Mish is all over it. And uh, yes, this is five tracks. Um, can't complain. <laughs> Great vocals, you know, just um, really nice. Uh, really nice essence. Um, I love Casual Lies, Free, um, really good tracks there. But yeah, man, shout out to Joe Copper back in a good way. Uh, Mega with Honor and Glory. Um, this is one of the several projects that I have in the backlog of artists I've just never heard of until for whatever reason I just see him somewhere and I'm like, sure, have a look at their profile and I'm like, yeah, that looks cool. Um, and yeah, just um, yeah, just gave her a spin. Love the uh, love the uh, artwork; it's really solid. And uh, yeah, just going to her work. It's another five five piece project, um, just under t- fifteen minutes. Um, and yes, yeah, so really good, really nice R and B project, contemporary R and B project. Great vocals. Um, and yeah, really solid project there. Um, Afro Icon, and I've also sh- uh, shout out Camille as well. I um, mean, ain't nothing. Um, which uh, the latter two are the producers on this. Um, ain't nothing. Um, love me some a- Afro, A-F-R-O, is how it's um, obviously spelt with dashes in between. Um, but yeah, just, yeah, he's always dropping. <laughs> he's, he's always dropping something. He's always, he's always like a single of his dropping, or he's like done a collab with somebody. And yeah, this is another solid one. Um, kind of dark in like the production especially. And uh, I think he really sits in it very nicely. Um, it's a definite, um, uh, what's the what's the word? Um, uh the opposite, basically, of, like, his previous uh, EP that I listened to, I think it was a 97 Machine, which is, like, very kind of comical, had skits as well in between, that was kind of, you know, fun, but this one was very dark and had this uh, very, very uh, dark tone to it, so I'm, I'm here for that. Chasing Status Too Rough, a Volume 1. Um, I feel like Chasing Status are just, just, just do stuff now <laughs> and don't really like I feel like they just do it for vibes now um, you know Selecta with Stefan Don which is uh, heavily samples only you from uh, Shanti so anytime you give a Shanti the bag I'm here for that and uh, you know I'm, I'm here for it I'm here for it it was a nice little flip love me some Stefan Don um, but yeah that's a really solid liquor and cigarettes with um, Hedex I think it's called and uh, RD that was really solid um Oh, bad I done. Oh, that was a banger. Oh, ooh, tough, tough little track right there. Um, but yeah, uh, tough talk or Quang face, really good track. So yeah, there's some gems in here. There's some gems in here. I like um, more. I like a. I like more liquid drum and bass. Um, there are a couple here where it's like a bit too much wub wub for me, and I'm, uh, it just turns me off a little bit. Um, but yeah, when they get into that like liquid drum and bass and have the just the rappers just going off on it, like liquor and cigarettes, like bada duns, just oh, it's just yeah, some good stuff on there. But even with bada dun, like uh, when it gets into the wub 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 I'm just like. A little bit less of that, that's, but that's just me. That's that's my taste. Um, Kokoroko, we could we be more remixes? Um, so yeah, it's obviously a remix of a remix album of their album from last year. Again, one of my favorite albums of last year um, on the uh, on the album list. And uh, yes, yeah, got some good stuff on here. Really, um, Kia A um, doing remixes um, still. Um, I like something's going on with Miles James. Uh, that's a really good one. Um, Iwa Inu, uh, the Vany Fox remix, uh, Vanny Fox, v- Vanny Fox, Vanny Fox, I don't know how to say, but yeah, that's a really solid one, 
<laughs> excuse me, really solid one. And uh, who else have we got? I think I have one more. Uh, let's check the list. Da, 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 da. Uh, Devon Gillif... Fucking, there's so many I's and L's in his name, it's actually crazy. Um, Gilfillian, there you go. So, G-I-L-F-I-L-L-I-A-N. Love You Anyway. Really good um, contemporary R&B album. Um, They actually dropped in April, and um, yeah, this is uh, one of the backlog um, just albums I've kind of just put for myself. um, Of just like artists I've never heard of, and I've just, you know, just jump right in. And this has got some real good, real good gems in here. Some of the best R&B I've heard this year, if I'm being objective. Um, maybe on the album list, who knows? Like, you know what I mean? I might put on the long list. Going to give you another spin next month, definitely. It's definitely going to be on that list. Um, but yeah, there's some, off the first listen, really good stuff on here. Really good stuff. Brown Sugar Queen with Janice, that was really good. Love that. Let the Water Flow was very interesting. <coughs> Excuse me, very interesting. Um, has uh, this, uh, you know, very gospel elements uh, in that. Um, I'm gonna let my body move. Better broken. Really good tracks all over here. The last track, um, the title track, is just oh, such a triumph and nil finish. Really heartfelt. Um, it's just got some great gravitas to it. Really enjoyed that album. And lastly, um, literally something I literally just listened to um, just before we started recording. Uh, Kalia, spelled K H A I L A. L I A, the L's and I's throw me off. That's how um, when I spell shit. But yeah, stay true. Little EP, um, quick ting um, has a shaggy sugar, um, and also Tanya Stevens. Um, so legends in the game on that front, and uh, also Mortimer and Tings and Time. Really good stuff. Um, but yeah, seven tracks, quick, quick EP, very solid. Um, bit of contemporary um, uh, artistry from the islands. Um, so yeah, shout out to Kalia, and with that said, we shall hop into our topic for this episode, which is the legend, the one, the only, uh, New Jarbiz. Um, and yes, I, my, my, as, as I said in the intro, this is kind of just, um, the thing that I'm gonna paint this whole episode with, for me personally, is just that... This guy, while he is obviously remembered um, as, you know, the quote-unquote godfather of lo-fi, you know, a term which, you know, the likes of Knife Wonder, um, you know, turn their nose up at. Um, And I get why, right? I get, you know, the etymology is a bit murky there. But, hey... The interesting thing is, it's very obvious to see where New Chavez actually got his inspiration. And in my mind, it's jazz more than anything. And as I'm going to say several times when talking about these albums, we're only going to do studio albums. Obviously, there's plenty, plenty of instrumentals from him in the vault um, via compilation albums, whatever have you. But we're obviously going to, as we always do, um, do the studio albums. So it's three of those. And the thing that just I came away with, put simply, is that <laughs> these are basically jazz albums. Is <laughs> is there is so the fifty fifty nature of being hip hop album or jazz album is so close here between the albums is actually kind of scary. Um, and you know while. Again, I understand why people call him that. You know, reference him as the Godfather of Lo-Fi, but shit, man. He's basically just modern jazz, <laughs> but just with a hip hop twist. Um, I just, uh, 
I, I, I can't think of, uh, this dude would fit, would have fit so neatly into, you know, the London Jazz Festival, which is going on right now, um, it's, he, I could have easy, easily just see him right there, um, doing tunes in the same night as the likes of Makaya McRaven, it's just, it makes so much sense, and I think Makaya McRaven's a really good example, where you have him as a drummer, but you, um, you 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 listen to some of his albums. Um, he did an album where he uh, uh, flipped some Gil Scott Heron. I think you'd enjoy that actually, Ben. And um, a couple of years ago, and it it's just it's just hip hop. But you know, you listen to other Makai McRaven albums, and he's you know flipping um, blue note tra- blue note tracks, and you know they're straight up jazz. And I think New Job is you know um, in retrospect. Not to end the episode here and here and now, but uh, with my soliloquy. But I just I just feel like there was a there was a there was a jazz like lean that was so heavy I could have easily just seen him. You know, obviously doing the hip hop stuff that we you know when when we see him in pictures and stills and obviously listen to the music and also the music that he's inspired over the years. Shit, man. Yeah, of course it's hip hop, but fuck, is there some good jazz in here? Just you know, just in the in the subtext kind of thing. It's just it's so uh, it's, it's so prevalent to me personally as a jazz novice, um, and uh, I firmly enjoy that. But anyway, with that said, Ben, what have you got for us on this one? Well, I think that's an interesting place to start because I think you know, as you said, definitely, definitely. And that's those are my favorite parts of the albums. I'm not going to lie. I enjoy the jazz in the I enjoy the instrumental yep. tracks. And I think what I've learned from this, because, you know, I didn't know much about Nujabis at all, is that he definitely sought out the hip-hop side. And I think that's what's going to come out towards the end of it, where, you know, he never set out to be, oh, I'm going to bring jazz into hip-hop, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. He's like, I'm just going to make the music I really like. I'm going to get rappers I really like on top of it. And it worked. It worked really well. But his story is actually fascinating. So it's a it's a gap in my knowledge that I'm excited to feel because I had not really listened to him before at all. I've heard the name. And I always kind of had him in my mind as a very mysterious character who just influenced a lot of people but was like a little bit obscure, which is would have been my bag in the mid-2000s. I have no idea why I didn't come across him or listen to him more. I'm, I'm not sure. Um but, you know, the, the story is really fascinating because uh, his influence is truly immense. Uh, but like everything in the modern age, I don't think it's properly acknowledged when discussing those who he influenced. So his work in the 2000s was really pivotal in establishing the lo-fi hip-hop scene, one that swept the underground, drove all the way to the summit of the Hot 100. Logic lists Nujabis as a key influence in his production and you can hear the warmth in almost every beat he produced. It is genuinely a beautiful mix of jazz, sampling, and drums. And it creates this really smooth but insistent backdrop. He tragically passed age 36, and it prompted a sadly premature writing of his legacy, which is quite fascinating to read because his music didn't chart, but his status as an influencer in the production of so many artists shows that his popularity was really huge. His highest stream song on Spotify, which I know is a very distasteful way to measure success, but at the moment it's really the only public way to see popularity in this area, is Feather at 61.8 million, and then Lovesick Part 3 at 40 million, which are really big numbers. And, you know, he grew his influence far away from America. There isn't much information about his life before music, but all of his formative years were spent in Japan. He was a design student who opened his own record store called Guinness Records. Um, 
has a beautiful piece in Arban magazine, and they assert his uh, region had the highest concentration of record st- stores in the world. So Guinness Records was really pivotal in his story. Uh, Toru Hashimoto, if I butcher some of these names, I apologize profusely. I'm not a very enunciating person. But Toru Hashimoto, who was a close friend, said the record store allowed him to build his musical network and artists would come in the store, he'd meet them, he'd connect with record labels overseas, which gave him the chance to collaborate with American artists if he liked them. So Toru Hashimoto heavily implied that this record store inspired him to take music seriously. You know, prior to this, obviously, he's very adept. He'd been practicing, he'd been working, he'd been putting stuff out. Um, But this kind of got his foot in the industry. Now, Hashimoto also had a vital insight into his early influences. He told Arban Magazine the main pillars of his music were mellow soul and spiritual jazz. And when you apply some perfect drum loops, you have a unique and interesting hip-hop beat there. And I feel like this is something Nujabas did, and it's a trait that I think is really quite rare. You know, every track he produced had something slightly interesting and different about it. Some of the riffs were very inventive, yet they were familiar at times. Like Counting Stars, for example, is a beautiful piece of music. It's an atmospheric gem. And I feel like I've heard that kind of song in like an Oceans franchise movie. You know what I mean? It's just like... It's obscure and it's a bit different and it's a bit weird and rare, but it's also like very listenable and familiar at the same time. There's something unique and interesting in every song. And that's a bit of a rarity in modern hip hop production, as we all know, uh, at least in the mainstream. But it's something very common in the electronic community. Like, you know, a lot of artists will have, like, Fortet, for example, has a very, very signature sound, but it's impossible to recreate. But he recreates it across the entire landscape of his discography. And it's very beautiful to see where's the fortet gonna be in this song, you know? And that's how I feel like with Nujabis, like where is he gonna be in this song? And he's in every song and you can just hear something that he does that no one else can do. And, you know, I think his albums are very unique in the way that they alternate between kind of almost like beat tape, but they're not beat tapes at the same time. It's exactly what Charlie said. It's like is it beat tape? Is this a jazz album? You know, and I, I like that. People might get frustrated with that, but I, I enjoy that a lot. I think at first it jarred me a little bit. Um, I kind of wanted the instrumentals to stretch on forever. But again, it's just another point of difference that he has. So he began his own record label amidst the su- success of his record shop. He named it Hideout Productions. His very first official release on Discogs is actually a remix of Nas's One Love. Um, and it's a long, stretchy, mega remix that's quite beautiful. He gives it this weirdly upbeat, poppy jazz instrumental, and Nas and Q-Tip on top of it sound pretty funny at first, but in a really adept way, and it was just so insistent that it worked. You know, he would hide copies of it in the Nas section in his record store, which is hilarious. So imagine if you just randomly, imagine if you're sitting at home right now, and you got one of the fake One Love singles produced by Nujabis. That would be pretty fucking sick. I think that was a cool idea. His next release featured Funky DL, UK hip-hop artist who was also quite young and on the ascent in the UK. His ear for something different, I think, lent itself wonderfully for hit to hip-hop, which I think in the 2000s had stagnated a little. Like Timberland, Swizz Beats, Kanye... Um, you know, they all influence the sound with something new. And of course, the Neptunes as well. 
But it wasn't like the late 80s when five new sounds were coming out every year. He found a niche in the hip-hop sound and it became his, and the uptake was relatively fast. Hideout released a bunch of tracks in 2000 and 2001, and then in late 2001, Lovesick hit and drew Nujabas into a much brighter spotlight. So Shingo 2, who was on the track, recalls the story of recording the song with him. He says... I was living in El Cerrito, a town north of Berkeley, when I got an, again, could have got that pronunciation wrong, I apologize, when I got an email offering to put a 12-inch together, but at first I didn't know which country this person was from, and I thought it was a strange name. When I first met him, when I went back to Japan, he let me listen to his beat tape. I played some of my own songs for him as well, but he had no response at all. My first impression of him was that he was a bit of a person at his own pace. And that even extended a little bit to his knowledge of hip-hop and hip-hop production. Shing O2 said that they, they had to figure out the editing and home recording together as they went. Because again, you know, Nujabis was not like some sort of crazy expert behind the boards. I mean, when he decided to take music seriously, he really committed to it. And that's one thing that I want people to take away from this. Bro, he was ambitious and he pushed this and he worked so hard for this. This wasn't an obscure artist that just got picked out by a record label randomly and they're like, this is the new sound. This is someone who knew what they had and worked insanely hard to get it out there. And, you know, he was a proficient DJ. He began DJing events in the 90s. And A&R at the time, uh, Masakazu Takuchi, Masakazu Takuchi, uh, said every single time Nujabi saw him at a show, he'd give him a demo tape and tell him he wanted to make an album. And his desire to create music of his own was present from the beginning, and it filtered heavily into the recording process, which we'll get into in a second for his debut album. But his insistence and his clarity of vision led to Kuchi to sign him to Diamond Records, Diamond Records, probably Diamond Records, that makes sense. Um, it's D-I-M-I-N-D, so I assume Diamond and allowed him to begin work on his debut record. Now his rise seems rapid because there isn't much information at all about his early life. There was a link to a tweet by a writer who claimed to have written a huge retrospective on his life, but the tweet is deleted and the article isn't accessible anymore, unfortunately. But his work ethic in the years before his debut album was is really solid. He fully produced two collaborative albums, one with Substantial in 2001 and run with um, Pace Rock in 2003. His desire to extend beyond the shores of Japan, very evident in the collaborative choices he made. Takuchi told Arban Magazine that his desire to work with these two American artists left a deep impression on Takuchi simply for how unique it was at the time. So he dropped three official mixtapes, Nujabis, uh, Sweet Sticky Thing in 1999, Good Music Cuisine in 2002, and Tribe Sampler Volume 1 in 2003. He was putting in a lot of work and you know he was producing a lot of music for a lot of different artists. Hideout was dropping quite a lot of music, the the record label. So before his debut album, and and his goal was to make a debut album, at least as told by the people around him. He I don't even know that he did interview. He may have done a couple of interviews that are quite obscure, but I didn't come across anything of note. So most of the information out there is from people who were close to him uh, in retrospectives. And all of them said he really wanted to make his own music and he was producing for other artists, but essentially he wanted to put out his own his own records. And yeah, man, then we get metaphorical music. Yeah, um, I feel out of the three, I think this is the most hip-hoppy um, for whatever that means. Um, I feel that... 
Um, the other two just go in a, just like I said in the start, like really have that 50-50 nature to it. But this one feels more like a hit, uh, just a solid hip hop project um, <clears throat> with a mixture of obviously instrumentals and uh, vocalized um, tracks, you know, sprinkled in as well. Um, I feel like the the sequel to this album is very good. Um, you know, it doesn't... Um, I mean, all, both, all, the, all three of these projects are over an hour long, and, you know, while I usually lament that, um, I can't really lament any of these three um, in terms of length, because they just, um, they, while they have, you know, certain tracks are gone for like, you know, seven minutes or five minutes or whatever, right, um, it doesn't, they, they just, they're just there to, you know, to, to be, um, to be absorbed, and... It's very enjoyable in absorbing them, um, and it's very nice to have in the background, uh, especially. I feel like any particular setting that you're in, you could just pop on metaphorical music and just um, and just jam out. Um, and I do value the fact, and it doesn't. It's not wait. It's, uh, it's not wasted. I mean, uh, on that. <clears throat> There's a lot of artists here that. Um, Especially through the, especially through the albums that, I, I think I saw a, um, I think I saw a below the hip hop post um, talking about obviously Modal Soul um, having yeah. this anniversary recently, and uh, someone commented like, imagine if he uh, he worked with artists that we've heard of, and I'm just like, well, eh, you said that. Okay, I s- I'll comment. Uh, it's just some, okay. just some, just some comment I saw. I didn't really like um, take it in that much, but it was just interesting to me because it's just like I get what you mean, but, yeah, but there's some there's some bars on here. Like let's not get it twisted, and I find that very interesting. Just in, you know, again, just because you don't know who they are doesn't mean they're not sick. And while you mentioned that um, New was trying to. Uh, was was kind of like uh, doing a lot of this on the fly, and obviously you know the the not everybody's in Japan and the locality and the uh, having to especially in two thousand three shit. Fucking, I'd use like they did vocals back and forth. Imagine that on fucking email or AOL or whatever the fuck they did. Like <laughs> it must be it must have been just a, a bit of a trek to do, um, literally and figuratively. <clears throat> but um. Hey man, it comes out so freaking nicely. I I don't know. It kind of it kind of throws me off that you said that because I'm just like, but it sounds so clean. <laughs> this is they just sound. They all sound so comfortable. The featured eyes. They sound so comfortable in these beats. And I've, I, I you know I listen to some you know mainstream projects and it's just like why is this person on here and it feels like such an easy thing to to point out but i never had that issue when it came to new and listening to metaphorical music and the others it's just like yeah there was no it didn't feel out of place to have you know either substance or Pani b um to be on here and it was just a you know it's just a blissful listen man so uh, yeah some really good tracks on here lady brown uh beat laments the world uh, fucking hell, uh, Blatitude, I think's good as well, the final view, Peace Land at the end, um, uh, but yeah, so it's just a, yeah, so it's, it's just, it's a very blissful hip-hop album, um, with a bunch of jazz elements, and apparently in brackets artists you've never heard of. <laughs> 
It is an interesting thing to reflect on, though. Like, I guess. Like, what if you got... I don't know. Imagine if you got Lil B on it in, like, mid Of course, yeah, of course. Like, I think I feel like this is the thing that people think about, especially as new fans. It's just like, oh, imagine if, like... Oh, imagine if this ice was on it. Oh, imagine if this ice was on it. Like, you, you always do that, you know? Same people. I'm sure a lot of Dilla fans do that as well. It's like, oh, imagine this, this dude on Dilla B. Oh, la, la. Of course, you know what I mean? It is what it is. But um, regardless, they're good. <laughs> and the bars are good. I don't want to like start reading bars just because it's a new ep- it's a new job, this episode. But um, they're good. Take my word for it. <laughs> it doesn't, they're not, they're not there for, for window dressing. They're actually, they actually add to it. And um, um, it's definitely the case in the second one. But yeah. I definitely think that's a difficult thing to do because, you know, obviously in his next two albums after this one, they become considerably more jazz and considerably more instrumental. So you're listening to it and you're just like, how is a rapper even going to be on this? But then a rapper comes in and, you know, I was a little bit impaired. So I was like, you know, when, you, when you're when stoned, you're just like, I just kind of want a calm vibe to just, you know, keep me going. I'm listening to it, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if this is going to work for me because as soon as a rapper comes in, I don't know, this is just going to feel weird. It never felt weird once. It felt great. And I was listening to it, and I'm like, the bars are great. Beat is great. Flow is great. This is just all great. And, you know, I think that this debut album, like, holy shit, man, it is a very iconic introduction to the world. The first track, Blessing It. Very underrated, yeah. Very underrated. That first track is one of the smoothest rides down a jazz hip-hop slide I've ever heard on a debut album. Like, it just sets you the fuck up for the entire thing. Stunning horns, but the beat is insistent enough for the rappers to actually get into a relatively quick cadence. It's energetic and calm, but, like, the BPM is... I don't know, man. It's just, it's As I said, and, you know, a lot of people say this about Dilla, for example... He just does stuff that you're just like, how did you even do that? And other producers say that. They're like, how did Dilla do that? And I, I think New Job is, is, is similar in that sense. And the next song is just a straight-up jazz bass track. It's an instrumental. And I think that's the brilliance of New Job is in a nutshell. He'll produce something that would have fit beautifully on a Tribe album, for example. And the next track is just a straight jazz instrumental. It could have come out in, this, in the 70s or 80s. You know, it's incredible. And of the guests, I think uh, Shingo 2 is my favorite. I really love their chemistry. He certainly gets a very specific type of Nujabi's beat to hop on, and I think it works every time. And Nujabi's was very committed to this album. Uh, Takuchi, whom I mentioned earlier, the A&R who signed Nujabi's, said the producer would spend his... So Charlie said, like, how to figure it all out. Nujabi's spent his own money to fly foreign rappers into Japan just to record in the same room as him. He wasn't even fluent in English. He just wanted to sit with them and feel their energy. <laughs> Like, that's fucking sick, bro. Like, fly artists out to Japan. <laughs> he, he was a producer of the highest order. That's what Takuchi said. He's like, he's not a beat maker. He creates music. Like, he's a producer. You know, he produces music. He plays music. And, you know, this wasn't an album born of spontaneity at all. According to Takuchi, the recording process was meticulously planned. Every song had to survive a long car ride through their local area before it was allowed onto the track listing. Um... And he said that they would like, you know, drive and, and listen and make changes while they were driving, make notes, go back, make changes. Like, you know, this was something that he was very passionate about in Nujabas. And he's like, I'm not just going to put out something 
you know, spontaneous. I'm going to take my time with this. And again, he showed that he was aiming to break at least into not the mainstream, mainstream that we talk about on hip hop Twitter and all that garbage. But, you know, the collective consciousness is, I think, the right way to say. He said to Takuchi during one of these car rides, you know what's popular. I know about jazz, rock, and hip-hop. I only want to include songs that are 100% okay with both of our ears on the album. So he recognized that he didn't really know how to make pop songs or mainstream songs or hit songs or etc., etc. That's where Takuchi came in. So he said, I know what I'm doing in terms of the music. You know what you're doing in terms of are people actually going to listen to it? And let's put it together. And, you know, I like that too. A lot of people might balk at that a little bit and be like, well, you know, why would you do that? Like, just create whatever you want. But, you know, New Javis was flying American rappers out from the States to Japan. Like, he wanted, he took this really fucking seriously. He even went on to say that, um, this is Takuchi, he said he never knew another artist who put themselves through so much trouble just to make one song. And listen to the album you can't help but marvel at the arrangements you know even down to the truly epic eight minute close of peace land it's just a warm triumphant march towards happiness it's just a lovely song you know one of the things i'm doing at the moment is the dopamine playlist with old soul um and the title is how i want the, the playlist to feel you know i want it to release the same kind of endorphins that new Jabi's music releases like the warmth and the comfort it's just like it's expertly done and the decision to release the album on a label other than his own was purely because he didn't feel like he could dedicate his time to being both an artist and a record label at the same time that didn't stop him from bringing some truly novel ideas to the table so Takuchi said Nujabis wanted to create hip-hop not just to nod your head to but to listen to as background music and in your home and Nujabis actually made Takuchi take flyers and samples to cafes and beauty salons to capture an entirely new market of people for hip-hop and it worked Takuchi said the album sold incredibly well with uh, HMV and Tower actually regularly demanding resupply and he said it got the best female response for a hip-hop album he'd ever encountered as an A&R and, you know, last week we were talking about Post Malone being like, oh, I want to bring hip-hop to a whole new audience. It's like, yeah, okay, you're a fucking idiot. But Nujabi's actually literally did it. Like, he did it the right way. Um, and he muscled his way in with good business sense, wildly creative sound, and a dedicated worth, work ethic that would rival all of his peers. And it makes perfect sense that it would get picked up and, and do well. And then we get his second out, modal sound. <laughs> Modal soul, anyway. Um, but yeah, um, this is the the one that people talk about, and uh, it's 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 the it's yeah it's it's the it, people are right on this one, <laughs> and not not to sound too downbeat about that, but you called it. Um, yeah, this is just I I don't know. It's just it's it's near perfect, honestly. It's uh. Even like, uh, and you re- obviously referenced flying people out, and um, I really liked the the actual re- genuine reference to that in Thank You um, with uh, future Women's History Month uh, retrospective subject to Pony B. Um, I just I just really appreciated that track because it's just I don't know, just like a um, as like a inside story of what what he has to what he's been doing in order to get these done and you know Pony B literally literally states it like 
it's been a long time coming and I'm still uh, not there almost to, almost to Japan just got uh, just got to get into the air and off the ground can't wait kind of scared to float amongst the clouds suspended 12 rounds but I'm bound for destiny saving grace from sanity for sure some more request a cold publishing and bound from another soul all we see is probably Chuck Cheever City he knows that the love ring sounds good to me and then she she just goes into it and um and the the hook of you know saying thank you for showing all love to me I appreciate this unique opportunity she's literally just saying literally just saying thank you on wax to you know producer that flew her out and I just really really appreciate that as the track is in itself um love sick part three is probably my favorite track uh of any of the tracks uh, that we listened to this week um. You meant obviously mentioned how good Shingo Two is, and I just um, I, I I don't know. This is just absolutely outstanding lyrically, um, especially the first few bars in the um, in in conjunction to each other of like verse one and two. So he starts the first one with like a movie that you can't predict, like a book that you can't resist. I sing along a song that's so so sensual. Bring along a sip to make it all so sexual, and then on the second verse. Like your moves that I can't predict, like your look that I can't resist. The tingling feeling was oh so mutual, the lingering appeal was so unusual. I just love shit like that. I I don't think we get enough of those kind of inventive ways of, you know, marrying verses together. Um, in terms of its, like, you know, obviously structure and verse construction. I just really love that. I adore that, and the and the production on that is just oh, it's just so fucking good. Um, and <laughs> it's just the whole thing, man. I can't, I can't gas it too. I can't gas it enough. Um, World's End Rhapsody, crazy. Um, the title track, crazy. Uh, Horizon on the back end, another just absolutely just again triumph and finish. Um, and I say. As a personal rule, and I feel like it's got, it's it's rung pretty true so far in my jazz uh, in my jazz explorations. If your song, if your longest song is good, then it's then the album itself is going to be at least good. Is and he succeeds in that. I think I forget which one's like. I think there's one of them that's like seven minutes. I think so. Maybe Horizon. Um, but either way, um, it's good and. Yeah, the whole album is just it's so it's so warm and yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> I get it. I get it when people talk about it because I feel like this is the one that people talk about the most. Um, and like I said, it had its anniversary recently. Um, and yeah, it just it makes a lot of sense. Um, there's just so there's so much warmth in this, and that balance between jazz and hip hop is so. It just sings to me personally and to my taste. I just can't get enough of it, honestly. There you go. Hook it to Charlie's veins. Hook it to Charlie's. <laughs> Inject it. You know Inject it. Like, yeah. It's a great. Slap him on, bruv. We're about to recreate train spotting. <laughs> it's a beautiful. You, you know what I mean, bruv? I will get. Bro, if, if his album. If, if it feels like. It feels like you can't listen to the album apart from this one-of-one cassette tape, and it was in that toilet. I would go in that toilet. <laughs> Trust me on that, okay, Ben? 
Okay. And I feel like this ain't the first time we've referenced that f- I've referenced that scene I don't think on an is. episode before. I feel like you've yeah, referenced, I think I've referenced it. it before. It comes up at least <laughs> once a year and I've been always been mean to address it with you and be like, Look, Charlie, what's going on? <laughs> what's going on behind the scenes there, buddy? It's the best scene, bro. It's the best fucking scene. I, just it's it, so un- it makes me so uneasy, but that's why it's so good, because it's just <laughs> The first time you see it, you, it's one of those scenes in film where, like, the first time you see it, you're going to remember seeing it. Oh, yeah. Because it's just so surreal and so jarring. You're just like, and then when it finishes, you're like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> you want to look away, but you're like, no, I want to see this as well. Exactly. At the same time. Sa- and he's like going deeper and it's like, oh. what? It's like, what? Well, no, stop, no. <laughs> oh, gosh. Wow. Great movie. Anyway, oh. Modal Soul. Very different to Train Spotting. Uh, significantly more accessible than that movie and, and calm. Yeah, I couldn't name two things more opposite, by the way. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> the reason this album was so uh, ubiquitous is because amidst the success of his debut album, he was actually invited to work on the anime series Samurai Champloo uh, in 2003. Again, yes, Champloo. We should do great fucking series, by the way. Is it okay? Okay, I got. I got. Yeah, watch it's just, um, yeah. So it's like um, it's like one series, limited series, like twenty something episodes. Yeah, just follows this um, just follows these two samurai and this girl who's trying to find, trying to find. I forgot, I forgot what she's, she's trying to find. Um, the man that smells like sunflowers or something like that. Um, it's very abstract, but yes, yeah, it's it's it's, it's, yeah, it's a very intriguing anime. If you want to, if you. Um, if you're if you're like me and you're not into anime that hard, I feel like it's a good place to just like you know mm. dip your toe in if you're relatively in, you know intrigued by the by the art form. Um, don't have to dip into like One Piece, which is like a million episodes. This one is a set number. It's got great music, good vibes. So yeah, if you highly recommend. Okay, I might. I've, my only is spirited spirited away. That's my that's my only. Get high and watch that. Spirit of the way, yeah. Watch no, that's this. a good shout. Champloo. And watch, and watch Ghibli, yes. Watch Ghibli as well. Oh, yeah. And Ghibli's anything Ghibli. Ghibli's great. Yeah. Big up Ghibli. Well, the show actually went on to be supremely successful in the US. In fact, Nielsen Video Scan reported that by January 2006, it was ranked among the 10 highest selling anime DVDs in the US. Um, and apparently, in from these Nujabi's retrospectives, uh, it was the aesthetic of, of it was really perfectly placed to propel his unique brand of music to the next level because you know apparently as Charlie's seen it I haven't seen it apparently graffiti and East Coast rap are heavily referenced is that is that true? Yeah, and the production itself is actually the most hip hop I've heard from him um, out of the bunch, uh, which is kind of interesting. But yeah, there's this um yeah there's this uh, East West parallel that happens. Um, in just every aspect and it's very fascinating there's actually one episode where um uh they play baseball with americans and uh yeah that's kind of interesting so yeah there's, there's definitely an east-west parallel uh, yeah just that, sewn within it well i think that new jobs is literally the perfect person to create the soundtrack to that and the director was introduced to new jobs through mutual friends and after the release of his debut album he locked in to create the soundtrack and this was the launching pad and it changed the entire direction of the second album so whilst he was working on the soundtrack he learned how to play a bunch of different instruments and worked closely with yama hiroto a multi-instrumentalist who was heavily 
into jazz music, like creating a lot of jazz music. So Modal Soul then moved from a slightly obscure sophomore album from a unique Japanese producer to having a spotlight on it. And people were curious, where would Nujabis go next? So after the soundtrack to the anime show released, his influence had begun to grow. The internet was finally, finally, finally fast enough for influence to spread quickly. That sounds silly now, but back in the late 90s and early 2000s, the internet was so slow, it'd take you a week to download an album. And that is not a joke. I'm not lying when I say that. Three, four megabyte songs would take a day to download. And you had a hard drive that was like 20 gigs. So you could have like four albums on it and then all your other documents and that's all you could do. So, you know, getting space was expensive. Speed was expensive. Um, But by 2004, the speeds and the space were sufficient enough to start downloading tracks in minutes rather than hours, which meant uploading was easier. Message boards were more populated. Everything was starting to happen a lot quicker. And this helped Nujabi's name and sound to spread far beyond his own shores. And there was anticipation for this album to drop. People were curious. And like all brilliant artists, Nujabis pivoted. Takuchi said that the pivot was partly due to the rising cost of sampling and almost in frustration, Nujabis turned to live instrumentation to drive costs down. Shing O2 actually referenced Hiroto, stating that once he was introduced to the recording process, the entire sound of the album changed 180 degrees. Now, as we learned with the marketing of his debut album, he was a deep thinker in all aspects of his art. He told Takuchi he wanted to influence the sound of hip-hop, and Takuchi responded by saying he wanted hip-hop to be on the same level as jazz, soul, rock, and pop. Now, a lot of this is translated from Japanese, so a lot of the nuances of their points are entirely lost on the translation. So I do apologize if they sound a bit obtuse, Um, I took that to mean, because, you know, when he says he wants hip-hop to be on the same level as jazz, soul, rock, and pop, I'm not thinking in terms of popular and pop music and mainstream success. I personally took it to mean um, more that they wanted to focus on live instrumentation rather than the hip-hop staple of sampling, and they felt confident that they could produce a brilliant hip-hop album without using as many samples. That's not a thing. That wasn't a thing back then, was it? No. Um, You know... You've you've probably been to a few hip hop shows now where there's live instrumentation. I've definitely been to a few now, and you know it adds a it adds a flavor um, to have like a you know a saxophone right next to the ice, and then like you know and and something like that, or um, a trumpet next to someone like Sky Zoo, for example, that comes to the top of my head. It was very cool. Um, you know, Arrested Development as well, uh, having live instrumentation. I feel. Mm. You know, it's it's a it's a. There's always that thing that I. Uh, what was it? Um, it can come across uppy. I think in a lot of ways. Um, there was a. I, f- I remember seeing a review of a uh, Kendrick's Damn tour, and uh, as someone that went to that tour in the O2, um, it was obviously very stripped back. It was just. It was literally just him. Um, and like a big screen at the back, and like a platform in the middle that he came up in one po- at one point. Um, so yeah, it was very very stripped back in you know mainstream hip hop arena tours uh, go. Um, but I remember listen- I remember reading a review of going like a of just basically taking a shot right um, at the fact that it was you know that had it that had no in- uh, live instrumentation. I'm mm-hmm. just like. <laughs> And like it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't matter like it doesn't 
n- n- because it doesn't have line of instrumentation doesn't mean it's lost anything. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's the artist's interpretation, how they want to do that live show, and also money, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's also paying a band to, to help you out. There's yeah. also that significant element. I'm sure Kendrick could afford it, considering he did, you know, he had a band for the Timber when he did to Pimp a Butterfly and took that on tour. Um, so, you know, it's not like he didn't have money, but why? who's going to have live instrumentation for Damn? That, that makes no sense. Yeah. For to Pimp a Butterfly, of course it makes sense, right? So, you know, it's, it's case by case. And it's not for be- it's not for better or worse. It's for... Yeah. It's, it's a, it has to, I feel like it has to be seen neutrally. Yeah. That, you know, if you see them with just a DJ, that's fine. If you see him with a live with a live band, also fine. <laughs> it's not. It's you know. It can. It comes down straight to objective taste. Like um, to come out of hip hop for example for a little bit. Um, you know, Emily Sande has been doing um just straight up piano shows, just her and a piano, and compare that to, and again, I've seen these. I've seen both of these parallels. To see her with just a piano is so fascinating. I think I saw the first time she did it, actually, in the Roundhouse. Um, anyway. <laughs> and also seeing her with the live band. It's, th- th- it's different flavours, but they're both fucking good. Take my word for it, you know what I mean? Um, and I feel like that's an interesting experience to actually experience both. Um, but, you know, I'm sure back then, for hip-hop artists... To have it live instrumentation, I mean that's kind of why that's why the roots are the roots, right? Yeah. To and that's why they're so unique because they 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 were literally just a band, and they did hip. They just so happened to do hip hop. Um, and I haven't been to a live root show. That's one that's definitely on my list to see. Um, but I I've I've seen clips and it looks fucking great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you if you lot want to shit on it uh, then you're basically saying the roots are irrelevant and so you're saying that no i'm sure you're not so just just be neutral about it until you experience both and then you know whatever your taste is is how you how you see it as a fan of jazz how do you feel about and this is a bit of a tangent <coughs> but like how do you feel about artists who use either samples or keyboards or just totally electronically create a jazz album because that's the thing it's been done many many times and there's a bit of a some people don't like it some people like it's totally fine so so what what do you mean they just they they create the sample by themselves and like recreate it yeah or just like create just you know unique new jazz music but no instruments like no horns no strings no bass they're just doing it on a keyboard (laughs) or on fruity loops or do you know what i mean like entirely electronically I I I remember um when I when I realized that Mad Lib um did a beat on an iPad I was just like okay let's just not, there's no point having this there's no point even trying to trying to battle this cuz if 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 Mad Lib's doing it then I'm not going to I'm not going to say oh no you can't do it on iPad what kind of what kind of can't you you know what I mean it's fucking Mad Lib he did it on the iPad so it is what it is right um I feel like a lot of people would get at somebody else if their you know if their first hit beat was off an iPad and um you know I remember like uh uh, I remember like a uh, Martin Garrix. He's like obviously his first hit was that animals that, um, and he didn't even know how to DJ, um, so <laughs> he had a hit on his hands, and obviously he wanted needed to take that live at some point, and he didn't know how to DJ, so you had to learn how to DJ. So um, I don't, 
you know, obviously there's a matter of, you know, um, accessibility um, here. Um, maybe somebody doesn't have the instrument, the money for instru- for the instrumentation. Not everybody can have a full studio of just like, you know, all the saxophones in the world, a sick drum kit, you know, all the keys that you want. Um, you've, you've, you've probably seen those videos ran about of like, um, uh, there was, there's a bunch of videos I keep seeing now and again of like Herbie Hancock and... Um, Quincy Jones in this studio um, back in I think like the 70s and they're just like they're just fucking about but there's so many there's like a literally a wall of keyboards behind them and I'm just like it's wild are they not just all the same? <laughs> you know what I mean, as a, as a as a as a non-keyboard person, I'm just like I'm, I just see keyboard. I'm, that's all I'm seeing. Like me see keyboard, right? Yeah. But obviously they have different vibes to them. Um, and it's you know it's the same with Terrace Martin when he takes a picture of all of his saxophones. I'm just like, but I know they're different because I'm just a guy who just wants a just he one lo- saxophone, please. Love just one sax, saxophone. Man. I love the sax. I love a sax. I love a sax. Um, I'm a sax addict, <laughs> and, and uh, is is asking your question. You know, obviously there's a there's a um, there's a accessibility aspect there. Um, again, you know, might not have the might not have the accessibility for it, and might not have the budget for that. Um, and if that's the case, make do make do what you got. And I I'm not gonna <clears throat> I'm not gonna hate somebody to do it all off a keyboard anymore. I'm sure there's a lot of purists that would love. You know everything to be you know um, of that nature, but um, sometimes you just have to do what you got. And uh, and but then again, some people just want the want the ease of doing that. Hence why you know a lot of is I feel it's much easier to do to do any type type of production these days than it was you know back in two thousand and three. Um, so you know. <laughs> it's just how it's just how things go these days and how things evolve like things things get easier things get more accessible um you can create an orchestra on your on my f- i can create an orchestra on my phone right now um if i cop a couple of apps so you know is is what it is yeah no it's interesting because like when i was thinking about the fact that he started to use more live instrumentation i thought of Eamon tobin who is an electronic producer who created an album called bricolage in 1997 and it is a straight up jazz album but it was pioneering because it was done entirely on keyboards like it was done entirely electronically there were no actual brass instruments no actual live instrumentation and yeah i was always curious how people in the jazz community felt about it i haven't done enough research on it because I've always loved that album, but then at the same time, you know, then I'm listening to Thelonious Monk, and I'm just like, yeah, but it's not really the same, is it? Like, it's not really the same as Thelonious Monk, but yeah. Anyway, I I say we we went to a great tangent there, um, but yeah, no, I think I think that what Takuchi was saying is exactly what Charlie said. You know, it was about hip hop could just have live instrumentation if it wanted to like jazz soul rock pop didn't just have to be samples and you know i think that the album does feel different for that reason to me it feels a bit lighter and a bit sparser like they sacrificed a little bit of warmth for some crispness and Gucci said a lot of people felt like it was an evolution and i definitely think it was i felt like nujabi's creativity was given far more of a license to soar on this album and i think the album is much richer for it I think this album is 100% where he perfected his sound. I think it linked the warm jazz from his debut with the more inventive electronica from the mid-2000s, and it featured some incredible performances from the featured artists. And honestly, 
as Charlie said, I think it's uh, it's near perfect. You know, it really is. It is a special, special album, and yeah, man. And then he passed away after this album, like brutal, genuinely. Like I don't even know what to say. I mean, he he passed away uh, in a car accident in 2010. He was just 36, and his sudden passing prompted the world of hip-hop to some of his influence far too early and naturally there was heavy interest in a posthumous album especially as Nujabas was deep in the creation process and so then we get spiritual state yeah and um you know as posthumous albums go um this kind of reminds me of like something something like Mac Miller Circles yeah, circles, right? I was thinking Where, the same thing yeah yeah it's 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 very uncanny honestly because it just feels like there was this it was just like so close to being finished and you know they just dedicated to finishing it um in his image and in his sound so to speak and um yeah i think they succeeded hella well on this one um to do that to get it done and to get it out uh i yeah it's this could have dropped yesterday and i'll be into it you know what i mean and that i think that's kind of um the takeaway i have when it comes to news music it's just so timeless um there's i could i can listen to this 50 years from now and it will sound so fresh um and it's really it's kind of uh it's very bittersweet album to listen to um in context of his death as well because it has this that instrumentation that you're talking about um comes across so well on here um, when I'm listening to certain tracks and I'm hearing these horns and I'm just like, oh my gosh, hearing this live would be fucking magic. <laughs> um, and that's kind of what I came out, what came out of, uh, with this album specifically is just, I would love to hear this album live, um, because it just sounds so good. Um, especially in, when it comes to instrumentation, um, while modal soul has this, you know, again near perfect nature and that just perfect balance of being a hip-hop jazz album um in equal parts um this one i feel feel like dips more into jazz i would say like 65 percent where modal soul had more 50 percent and that's just an arbitrary number i'm giving them um doesn't mean anything but it's just how i feel but jesus christ it's, it's instrumentation on here again just comes across so serene and um again with context is so bittersweet it's kind of heart-wrenching um but fuck it's just yeah it's just a really really outstanding piece of work and um yeah it really it really comes across as just super fresh just so damn fresh <laughs> so damn fresh um and I, I even I even see I even listened to this and I was seeing I mentioned Terrace Martin before and I was like and there's someone that's you know been spinning Terrace Martin for years now. Um I got Terrace Martin out of this. I I feel like I don't know whether to, whether Terrace Martin um sees new as an inspiration in any fashion. Um but I I listen to this, I listen to Spiritual State and I hear, you know, certain Terrace albums where they ha- where he has this you know, hip-hop thing in the background, but it's firmly a jazz album, um, but there's, you know, a bunch of flavours happening um, from song to song, and I'm just, I'm here for that, it's why I love Terrace Martin as an artist and as a producer, and it's why I really respect new Jabez in this fashion, of just, um, 
of just juggling these sounds and juggling these elements um, to make something so uh, unique's probably not the word, but just something so quintessential um, to to him and his artistry. Yeah, I mean, look, it feels to me like a Nujabi's record. It really does. There was no errant Dua Lipa feature or something stupid or crazy. And almost all the collaborators have worked with him before. And to me, the sound, I know it sounds crazy, but it happens. It happens. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just trying, I'm just trying to think of the most like absurd <laughs> feature list of just like a new job is featuring like just on, like Central C or something. I'm just like, oh, oh no. God, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just, don't you just hate that? We're like, just, it's the only issue with like mainstream albums these days. They just have that random feature. I'm just like, why like it's just so obvious it's just please stop trying that yeah, please stop doing that i agree it's the most annoying thing it's the yeah. most annoying trend it really is thank god they did not do it with spiritual state and you know i think it feels more delicate in places than his previous work i appreciated the throwback feel of fellows um and in fact the tracks with vocals do feel like strong callbacks to his debut album whereas the instrumental songs feel like a real calming down and a slight updating of the instrumentals of modal soul I think it's a great album and I think it pointed to an artist who wanted the mainstream to pay attention to him but on his terms and before he passed I think that he fully achieved this his influence was already spreading quickly through America and it's totally understandable you know I'd never listened to Nujabis before Um, I was unaware of his sound or influence until this episode and his music is unique but you know there was a whole subgenre that grew from this sound and it's one that I listened to a lot in the late 2000s um, but this is just something different from the rinse and repeat that that subgenre sometimes feels in falls into. As I said earlier, I think every single instrumental has something to pique your interest and to pull your attention. And I think all the great artists sprinkle something onto their own sound that can never be replicated. And Nujabis was one of the greats. He really was. And the fact that he passed so young and so early, um, I don't know. I, it's hard to sum it up because it's just like, I, it's, I don't want to because it's like he wasn't done. Do you know what I mean? It feels to me, it's kind of how I feel about posthumous albums sometimes. I'm like, I really don't know that you should put this album out because unless the artist specifically stated before they passed away, and I'm not saying this is spiritual state or circles or anything like that. Um, I just think for other projects, it's almost like it's kind of taking their autonomy away from them and being like, yeah, we're just going to put it out and... You know, that's how I view posthumous albums. I don't really view them as as part of the artist's discography per se, because who knows what would happen. I mean, look at what happened with Modal Soul. I mean, it was a, it was a completely different album until the anime soundtrack, and then he met Hiroto, and it changed entirely. Like his entire recording process changed. So it's really difficult to sum up someone like Nujabis because losing him so young when he was right, I reckon, right about to really explode you know and i don't mean like he's going to be on the hot 100 etc etc nothing like that i just mean people are going to be far more aware of him in the 2010s and i really do think his music during the hip house trend would have been gloriously fucking calming and just a complete the exact opposite of the black eyed peas you know which would have just been a calm evening after a really shitty week is how I think I would have felt listening to him. So yeah, man, like very influential artist and yeah, rest in peace. 
great music thank you so much for the music yeah so i'm definitely one of those cases where um i feel like the um the influence and the and the love that people in the know have is genuine and legitimate and i feel that i i especially appreciate him for for that linkage that he's that he did with with jazz because um it's that's that's what hip-hop in my mind should be it should be that link to the past in some ways um of traditionally black music um something we didn't know um that probably should is that japan has a bustling jazz scene i didn't know that um uh, yes, um, so much so that um, I remember watching uh, Treme, um, which is a series um, by David Simon and co about uh, the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. And there was uh, there's a lot of, as you can imagine, New Orleans, there's a lot of jazz in, in the uh, <laughs> in, in the show. Um, there's lots of just like scenes where it's just people playing music um, and it's an interesting vibe. Uh, and there's one character, who basically gets a new um a new uh trombone i think it is if i remember correctly um off this japanese dude that has just come to new orleans to experience it um he's just that it's just this japanese dude that's just like mad into jazz and like he's and he's like having arguments with this dude that's like that's you know has been born into it and lived it and breathed it and he's like he's got knowledge right and it's so fascinating to just have that snapshot. Obviously, it's just a TV show, but it's an interesting snapshot. Um, but yeah, Japan's jazz scene is absolutely amazing. Um, the support they have for jazz artists over there is very interesting. Um, I would love to just see what that is in, in person. Um, and it makes sense. It makes sense when it comes to someone like New because um, he definitely put that respect on it. Um and added it to his artistry, which is just, um, yeah, highly commendable, especially when there's, a, you know, no, <laughs> is what it is, like, there's some artists even in the US, born and, born and bred in, in hip-hop and all that stuff, and, you know, there's a lot of things that they don't adhere to, um, not that they need to adhere to things, but there's a lot of, like, you know, there's a lot of things that are worth, are worth learning, that's this, should we say, right, and they don't, um, for better or worse, um, most of the time I think it's for worse um, and it's and news a great reason for why I, I think people you know if you're going to get into hip-hop also get into jazz also you know experience soul music experience uh, fucking I don't know bossa nova in, in Brazil like stuff like that widen the palette because a lot of the the best know of that shit and they have that knowledge and they apply it to their music and then when you listen to a track oh it's got some bossa nova vibe to it when you realize that shit when you link it to shit like that it's it, oh, just it upgrades it upgrades your yeah it, it upgrades your interest and it upgrades your enjoyment especially Definitely. when you hear you know something just a tad different just a tad different and it just sends you somewhere else um, and yeah, news definitely a great portal to that, um, and a very unlikely source, obviously from Japan. But um, hey, man, that's what that's what you get, and that's just beauty of music in some sense, I guess. Yeah, I really do wish that people were a little bit more 
open to that, but people don't seem to be. It's like, why wouldn't you want to know where this so comes from? Why wouldn't you want to know where <laughs> exactly, the yeah. samples and yeah. the sounds and G-Funk comes mm-hmm. from? Like, why wouldn't oh, you? Oh, yeah, exactly. Great example. Like, yeah, exactly. Go um, listen to that so yeah, shit. With that said, we shall leave it there. Hobbits are on Lion Note, if you go in Thin Bam. Well, I didn't actually respond to Charlie's voice messages yesterday. Charlie <laughs> sent me... Oh, no. Oh, okay. Right, yeah, Charlie yeah. sent me three well, voice messages. Set the scene. Well, yeah, I went on a rant, to be fair. I don't know why. Yatty. Lil Yatty said some stuff. <laughs> Miles. Miles. Miles said a few things. And, you know, I, re- I reposted it and said, Yatty told no lies. And most of the other accounts which I'm like, they're like, oh, Yodi is 100% correct. Means of blah, blah, blah. Or no, sorry, they said the opposite. Sorry, start again. They were like, Yodi's wrong. There's so much great hip hop out there at the moment. And I'm like, I have seen you post about Drake's album incessantly yeah, them, them for the saying last that month. Is jarring. I'm like, you're a liar. <laughs> Yeah, you yeah, are bullshit. a straight you, you, up you're the people who are telling yeah, me that her loss bullshit. is a good album or that yeah, the views no is a classic or clb like shut the fuck up <laughs> yodi was 100 percent correct because he was talking about all you dweebs okay he was like and you know when it comes to this bro He's not talking about underground or other... Everyone with half a fucking brain knows there's plenty of music out there coming out every week. Anyone who follows me knows that. I've got like 20 projects every single week on my graphic. I've got a playlist that has over 100 new songs every single week, okay? He's not talking about the other... 80 songs on the playlist. He's talking about the 20 that sound the same every week. He's talking about rap caviar. He's talking about A1. We have A1 in Australia. This is A1 hip hop. And it's just Drake and Future and Yeet. And that's it. Is this nothing else? So, yeah, that's what I wanted to say. I think that. And also, he did put out a pretty eclectic album this year like it was it was it was different like you know yes it sounded exactly like pink floyd but that's okay lots of people sound like pink floyd led zeppelin sounded like a lot of people too and people like led zeppelin like you know wolf mother came out they sound exactly like led zeppelin led zeppelin sound like 20 other artists from the 50s so like you know that's that's just all i wanted to say i think that yes the messenger may not be the greatest messenger but you know, Yachty's saying some some interesting shit at the moment. He's 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 out there. He's really pushing the envelope. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of, that's. I think that's just my issue. It's just that the messenger. I'm just not. I I don't want to hear from him. I'm sorry. Like if it if this was a year ago before uh before that uh, Pink Floyd um uh, tribute um it just it would just piss me off even more because it's it's like. So you've you've spent the past however many years just dropping mid, and now you're lamenting. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, yeah. You are completely the wrong messenger for it. I'm sorry. You're just not the me- you're not the guy to say this. You, know, you may be right, but you're not the guy to say this. You've added to the issue, um, and now now that you, now that you've decided to switch up a little bit, now you, now you think you have the right. No, no, sorry, not gonna happen. I'm not. I'm not forgetting. Um, I'm not even forgetting the. F- I totally forgot. I totally forgot he called himself the voice of the youth back in like 2015 or whatever it was. I that f- that f- made me fucking. Oh, that made me scream at back then, and I totally forgot about it because I just stopped caring about what Miles was saying. 
But um, now that uh, a shout to Demarcy brought it back um, into my into my brain, and it just really just oh, oh my god! And now he's trying to be this dude like oh wow, you said something correct, but you you've been directly part of it. So now that you're comfortable, you can lament now. That that doesn't sit right with me. That's that just fair. does not sit right with me. Like there's so many. Um, there's so many like people in I think like sports and also you know uh, film and TV that like love lamenting over shit about the industry that they're in, um, and then do nothing about it. And it's just like, why are you bitching then? Because you're fine, you're good, you're you're happy. I'm sure you are. You're happy with what you're doing. So why are you lamenting it and not doing anything about it? I'm not expecting any action from from Miles anytime soon. It's just, I'm not expecting it. So to have him say it just jars me a little bit. Can be correct. He can be correct and the wrong person to say it. Uh, that's all I'm saying. Um, yeah, I kind of had a late night rant about it. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed it a lot, man. I didn't respond yeah, sure quickly because did. I was I was about to go out. Bro, I was just trying to get, I was, I was just in my bed trying to get warm. Like, that's all I was doing. And then I saw that and I was like, you know what? That'll help me get warm. Let me rent. Um, so <laughs> literally, I was, was literally it. Um, but yeah, just, Nah, nah, not not taking that from him. I'm sorry. You you spent the past five years or whatever long it's been dropping absolute mid, um, and now you now you drop one pe- project that some people rated. I'm nah, it's not happening. Not happening for me. Nope, Ooh. nope, 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 nope. There was also one like Joey Badass quote that I wrote about a few years ago, and I was like, and it was it was very similar in this fashion where I was like, he's right, but he's not the person to say that. I'm gonna try and find it as you talk, but yeah. Well, one thing I did want to ask a question about was from the voice messages. A few days ago, obviously the Grammy nominations came out, and I oh, quote yeah, tweeted I say I, that. And our I yearly, our yearly flag waving. But I so I tweeted about it and said that I Spice <laughs> now has as many Grammy nominations as like Tribe and DMX and Biggie. And Charlie responded, I, "What was the response? You're that guy." And hang on, I'll get it right up. <laughs> Here we go. Okay. Yes, you are that guy. I enjoy when yeah. you're that guy. What guy? That guy. And at first I was like, oh, that's a nice thing to say. And then Charlie said the same <laughs> thing about Yachty. Charlie was like, oh, you're <laughs> that guy. What guy? That guy. And I'm like, hang on a sec. Charlie was rinsing me earlier. I thought, I was like, oh, I've char- finally got Charlie's respect after all these years. I'm not years. helping my cough. Charlie's oh like, you're that guy. And then he's like, yeah, and Yachty's that guy too. And I'm like, oh, shit. I'm the, I'm the bad guy. You are not helping this cough. I meant it, uh, uh, I will say in, in both contexts, they're different. Um, I Thank did you. say it to you in kind of a sarcastic way, and I meant it completely literally with him. Um, so... Don't take it to heart too much. It was mild sarcasm on my front towards you. That was um, hilarious. But yes, you were being that guy. Um, and, you know, it's, it's funny. It's funny. It's, it's, you just, you're being that guy. What guy? That guy. And it's this kind of... It's, it's very funny. Like, all the all the responses were just exactly what I thought they would be. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, all right, you got that one. Yeah, I see what he's doing. I see what he's doing. I see what you're doing, bro. It's all good. It's all good, man. Play the game. Play the game. Playing that, that was guy. Funny, bro. That was hilarious. <laughs> Interesting, but yeah, I can't find the uh, I can't find the Joey <sighs> Badass uh, thing I wrote, but um, uh, but yeah, it was, it was I don't know, it was something. It yeah. was a rant, but um, yeah, 
Yeah, uh, our yearly our yearly middle fingers up to the Grammys. Fuck the Grammys, um, as always. Don't care um, about the we do this every Grammys. year, just um, as the nominations roll through, and when the actual awards come through, we do it twice a year. Well, yeah, technically twice a year. But yes, our one of two fuck the Grammys of the year. Yep. So there you go. This is the second one of 2023. If we didn't, <laughs> hopefully we did it during the during the awards. I'm, but yes, just I'm, gonna, that I'm just gonna make a point, and they're linked together. If you okay. are unironically promoting the Grammys and who was nominated, who you think is going to win, you're asking all these questions, oh, should they, blah, 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 and you're also saying that Yodi was wrong, there's something seriously wrong with you. You need to really rethink your entire yeah. fucking content because <laughs> Yodi is At least literally... I'm morally consistent. <laughs> You've got to be morally consistent. Yodi's saying that music is just cookie-cutter. People are terrified to take risks. And then it, you're like, you oh, snakes. what? What are you talking about? Yeah. And then Proceed, at the same time, you're like... to gas up the most milk-toast album. You're ever. like, oh, her loss should win, but Yodi's yeah. wrong. Yeah. No. That You know, I was getting rinsed for being 35 the other day. And I'm like, <laughs> you're 20. You have no idea what you're talking about. Like, it's okay to grow old. We grow old and we learn and we gain knowledge. And then we look back at what we tweeted when we were 20 and we're like, oh, we were fucking idiots. So you will have that realization at some point, And I'll be 50 when you have that fucking realization. It's okay for you to message me and be like, you know what, Ben? You were right. It's okay. And I'll sit there and I'll accept it. And I'll just be like, I know I'm always right because I'm old. So there you go. Uh, the true lesson there is nobody should be on Twitter. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we shall Thanks. leave it there. From the five, e- shut up. Shut up from the five VPN. Uh, <laughs> tweet, t- look, treat Twitter like your ex. Stay the fuck away from that fucking place, man. <laughs> Do not go back there. Stay off it. Oh, stay away oh, from it. Oh, is that it? That's the... Oh. That's the 35-year-old oh, knowledge. It. You That's found it. You 30. found it. You found Elon's... You found Elon's subtext, bruv. That's why I named it X. Exactly. Oh. There it is. There Don't it is. Don't ask me how. Shit, bruv. <laughs> Boom. Oh, Fucking nailed blowing. it. Outstanding. Mind there you blowing. go. That's why you called it X. So you lot treat it like your X, which is... Dip. Uh, yes. Don't text her back. It's fine. Never. Don't worry about it. Move on with your life. You're good. Don't worry about it. Um. Anyway, <laughs> for the five p.m. This has been Dig Digital. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm Charlie Taylor for Fenner. I've been Carter of Hip Hop Numbers. We hope you all have a good week. We shall always, always try and do the same. Until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Peace. Big Nin Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show is Peace and Video Games by Bonus Points. Thanks to Chill Music for the ability to use. Socials with Fellerman, Hip Hop by Numbers, Bonus Points, and Chill Music will be in the full show notes as well as names of projects reviewed wherever you're listening. This has been a 5EPN production. Thanks for spending time with us. We'll just see you next time on Digging in the Digits.